0: I'm Warren Smith and today you'll be listening in on my conversation with singer, songwriter and an advocate for hymn writing and singing, Keith Getty
1: Sometimes it's an idea that we're then trying to work out how that will work in a service Sometimes it's actually as simple as we need more songs to open a service with because, you know, conservatives don't dance They need some more songs at the start
0: Irish singer and songwriter Keith Getty is best known for the hymn, In Christ Alone, which he co-wrote with Stuart Townend. But as we will hear in this interview, he is a man of many parts. He began his career as a flute and saxophone player and an arranger for Sir James Galway, Michael W. Smith, and many others. Today with his wife, Kristen, he tours the world from a base in Nashville. Though I should add that he does still keep a home in Ireland where he and his family live for part of the year. But he's much more than a singer and touring Christian music artist. He has sold out Carnegie Hall in New York City and the Kennedy Center in Washington DC with his Christmas tour. A PBS Christmas special that he and Kristen did was seen by more than 50 million people worldwide. And the Getty's annual Sing Conferences held in Nashville have become must-attend events for worship leaders, pastors, and many others around the country and even around the world. They attract thousands each year, featuring great Bible teaching, great singing and musical performances, and, and this is where the event has become the center of a movement. They are also building a community among worship leaders who seek to bring both excellent musicianship and sound theology to the worship experience. You know, one of the things that I've observed about Keith Getty over the years, and this is the third time I've interviewed him, in fact, he was one of the very first guests on this program back in 2014, is that he is also something of a social entrepreneur within the church. He cites as a role model, for example, Bill Gaither, who has taken Southern gospel music onto some of the biggest stages of the world. And Keith often collaborates with people both inside and outside the Christian music space, including jazz musicians John Patitucci and Kirk Whalem, and country stars Ricky Skaggs and Alison Krauss, in order, again, to bring gospel music to audiences that wouldn't otherwise hear it. I had this conversation with Keith via Zoom. He spoke to me from his adopted hometown of Nashville, Tennessee. And we'll have that conversation right after this short break.
2: We Live invites and equips Christians to propel faith into action. This free worldview Bible study will spark rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions. These six videos from Summit Ministries offer life-on-life discipleship for churches, small groups, and families. Get free access today at summit.org slash listening in.
0: Well, Keith, welcome back to the program. It's great to see you and also to celebrate your new album, Confessio. And what, number one on the Billboard charts? Is that right?
1: In the album charts, it obviously doesn't include streaming. So it's, um, but anyway, you know our, our staff told me and they wanted to celebrate yesterday. So I said, guys, you know what? You've worked hard, let's celebrate. So we celebrated for all of 30 minutes.
0: <laughs> well, congratulations. I'll celebrate with you uh, at least for 30 seconds right now. That's a huge accomplishment. And, uh, you know, I want to talk about some of the individual songs and about your songwriting process. And in fact, you are interrupting a a two-day retreat that you have with your songwriters just to have this interview with me so i'm grateful for that
1: no it's great two of our writers my papa and my boss were working on their new project i'm pretty excited about it so um but for warren smith anything
0: well i'm grateful for that and uh let's talk about the album first tell me how it came about and you know it's been a couple of years since you guys have produced an album what's uh you know why these songs why now
1: well, it was, we, we've done an album each the last three years, but it's the, you're right and it's the first album of hymns. So it really is just, I think you interviewed us the week after COVID started, when Christ or Hope and Life and Death had just came out and the hymn sings with the kids had just started. And uh, really this is just kind of the hymn journey since then. So it's just hymns. They tend to be Big, big gospel hymns, looking at big subjects of life and death, and uh, but a congregational song. So we're, we're really, we're really excited about it, and it and it opens up uh, a few new doors as well.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that I've uh, always admired, Keith, about you and your work is that it is super collaborative. And of course, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the years. I know you to be an extrovert and you love people and you sort of are, you you are what I call a convener, that you're able to bring people together, both for work and for purpose. And, uh, you know, the fact that you've got you know, folks in your home right now doing this songwriting retreat is an example of that. But you've got Sky Peterson on this. You've got Wren Collective on this. You know, you, you give uh, Matt Pop and Matt Boswell, uh, Jordan Coughlin and others uh, a lot of um, props in the, in the co-writing and the co-bylines and all that kind of stuff. Uh, w- tell me about that. What, what is it about you that causes you to want to do that?
1: Sure. Well, I think it was the timeless philosopher Forrest Gump who said stupid is as stupid does. So I kind of fit in that category. You know, I wasn't one of the words I was most proud of getting a number of years ago when I was at the ceremony, I was introduced as the weak link of four different chains. And so, you know, I think, you know, <laughs> when, you, when, you're kind of, when you're kind of in the one one category of talent as opposed to the four or the five in the parable that Jesus told, you kind of need other people. And so I do enjoy that. And uh, and that's been kind of the, part of the privilege of the hymn writing for us. It's always been that way. And, uh, you know, each new friendship, you know, was, I think it was when Lewis and Tolkien and Charles William used to get together, they always say, I think one of them died and there's a beautiful story told that the consolation was that it was just the two of them. We get to know each other more, but actually the third person brought such a unique part of their personality. So I that there was a part of them died when the other one died. And I think that's the joy of collaboration. where why God creates us in community. And, you know, I've always been that way in part, quite honestly, because it's sure personality, but personality being an extrovert, but honestly, because I need other people of God never wired me in a way that I could do the thing myself. And, uh, and this project, you know, you know, the, the, the whole our, our the movement that our organization the get a music organization and the get a music foundation are involved in is, is a 2050 goal. It's when I mean, we've got a goal, we've got goals. We want to hit by 2050. We've got goals. We want to hit by 2025. We have a, we've a, we've a plan if I die tomorrow. And so it really isn't like being an artist more than being sort of, my, my heroes are neither artists like, you know, or entrepreneurial leaders, rather ideologues. So, so William Wilberforce, Billy Graham, they're kind of more my heroes, do you know what I mean? Because we, we believe if we can create and curate and publish great hymns, on the whole sort of spectrum of the, of, of the God of the Bible and the Christian life. And we can translate those into the 12 major languages of the world by 2050. Then, then we've changed history. Do you know what I mean? That by the power of God, through the spirit of God and by the will of God. So I think with that target down the line, I'm just always trying to see how I can encourage people or, or move along with them. And, And honestly, that's, I get more of a buzz out of seeing our guys doing stuff than do myself. Do you know what I mean? So Yeah. It still is nice to write a song. I mean, you hear a song that somebody else writes, you still wish you'd thought of it first. Do you find that with a journalist article or
0: book? Well, yeah, I do. I read things all the time where I say, boy, I wish I had written that. And You know, it's a, it's sort of this, uh, because I'm a human, it's kind of this mixed emotion of, of just admiration and celebration, you know, that someone wrote something great. And also, you know, that why couldn't I have done that myself? You know, kind of a thing, you know?
1: Just in case you were thinking somehow that my skill set made me selfless, I want to assure you it doesn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, you know, you've mentioned uh, just in the first couple of minutes, you know, you've mentioned Tolkien and Lewis and the Inklings. You've mentioned the Clapham group that was sort of around William Wilberforce. And uh, in in some ways, um, that's what you have done, right? You're trying to, to create this this um, not not just business collaboration, but kind of a songwriting collective and a yeah. community where you guys come and you you mutually support each other. Whenever they, you know, whenever the individuals have successes on their own, you can celebrate that together. But you can you know, also bring out the best in each other as well. It seems like.
1: Well, that's the hope. I mean, that's what I mean. The, the SING conference, kind of the first time, as soon as that started, the guys all came and said, you know, let's let's create this kind of publishing collective and. So we we've done that. And It's been honestly, yeah, it's just a joy to be with all those guys. It really is, you know. It's a, yeah. uh, it's 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 fantastic, and uh, they bring out the best in each other. they interested. I mean, even this album. Um, You know, we we did a song called Rejoice in the Lord, which is a more contemporary opening song for a service. Well, the hardest thing for any of us who are looking for more solid biblical foundations in our singing is we we now have quite a lot of resources in mid-tempo songs and slow songs, both in contemporary and in traditional hymns. But it's finding songs that have a bit more energy um, that perhaps open a service or appeal to a younger generation or just cheer us up or are are good to listen to in the car. that's where we begin to struggle more. And so, you know, two of our team wrote this, uh, with each breath he's given, praise the Lord. In these times we live in, we will praise the Lord throughout every season, I am sure of every reason. And I looked at it and I actually, that that, that brought a point the song, Rejoice. And it was, I got it by just, you know, I was talking to little Sky Peterson, who was talking about, you know, as a Gen Z kid and talking to younger Gen Z kids and then talking to my daughter and realizing that just the levels of anxiety they face, and uh, and it's hardly surprising given the things that eight-year-old girls and 12-year-old girls and 16-year-old girls are having to face. But then you go back 75 years this year, 70, they're doing a 75th anniversary this year of WH Auden's Age of Anxiety, which of course Leonard Burns didn't the music too. And that was that was like 24 months after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and looking at a new nuclear world, how everybody's anxiety levels had gone up. Well, of course, if, if Auden came forward 75 years now and saw kids. It will be just unbelievably up again. And then you go back again to the Apostle Paul, who is winning the prison, writing to the Philippians, and knowing he'll only ever get out, he'll only see daylight once again in his life, and that's to be executed. And he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Mm-hmm. Let your gentleness be evident to all that the Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything but in prayer and petition, submit your request to the Lord. And you know, it's interesting that you know, when we go back, when we actually bother to go back to the old liturgies that that the that the, that the reformers and others and the church fathers gave us based on the scriptures, that's often a call to worship. In in evangelical circles I've run in. Rejoice, Lord is going to rejoice, let your evidence, let your gentleness be evident. That's usually a corrective because you're getting nervous about your school exams or something, or because you're losing your temper. You know what I mean? It's actually a call to worship, and so we just took this first six verses of verse four of Philippians, and we put it together, two verses in each of the sung verses, and that's been a really, again, it's, it's a slight twist. It's a bit more, it's a bit more raucous than we usually do. So we brought in the Ren Collective, who are the most, you know, classy group of thugs you'll ever meet, and uh, did a kind of a more sort of fresh, high energy version of the song. So that's that's one example of how collaboration with different groups, you know, has brought this kind of really interesting conclusion.
0: Yeah, well, you know, you've, you're bringing us something that I I don't, I mean, Keith, I've got so many things I want to talk to you about. So it's, I feel a little bit like a grease on a hot griddle. I'm just skipping around here. But, but since you brought up this point, I want to ask you a little bit more about it. And that is that the songs that you write and the songs that your collaborators write, uh, you're very intentionally, it seems to me, trying to serve the church. In other words, even, even this song, you said, you know, we needed a song to open worship with. Is that intentionally a part of, or maybe the beginning of a song where, where you will get together and say, we need a song for this place in the liturgy or this place in the service, or, or does it uh, come from a different place?
1: I think that's the whole thing. I mean, if you don't, if we can't feel it, if I can't feel it in the service, albeit with all my cultural restrictions that that I bring, I I think that's the issue. And I will say from the start, I mean, Shai Lin at the SING conference this year, you know, said the reason that our God is not restricted to one cultural expression is because he isn't restricted to a thousand cultural expressions. Even that would be to reduce him. And so, I, I want to make clear that anything I say is coming from my own cultural. You know, the, the music that I write is coming from my own cultural bag of tricks, which is you know, you know, a fundamentalist kid brought up in a classical music home in Ireland in the Presbyterian church. And you can kind of put those four things in a juicer, and it kind of is pretty obvious what comes out. You know, so you know, with, within my own limitations. That's what all the songs are about. Sometimes it's sometimes it's an idea that we're then trying to work out how that will work in a service. Sometimes it's actually as simple as we need more songs to open a service with because, you know, because, you know, conservatives don't dance. They need some more songs at the start.
0: Right. Well, uh, we can't talk about every song on the album, but there are a couple of other songs that I do want to talk about. And one is Take Shelter. That's a beautiful song. It's a, at least from a performance point of view or on the album, it's uh, between your wife, Kristen, and Sky Peterson. And um, Sky is Andrew Peterson's, daughter she's very young uh, wh- what is it about sky that uh, made you and Kristen say you know what this girl's special and we want to bring her into the group and we signed our first teenage hymn writer
1: so um yeah that was hundred last year which is, as a teenager so that was cool i think she's she's all the things you would expect from someone of the absolute class and vision and ability of andrew peterson you know i i called i was watching the video last night and i just called him on the phone and just to say, Andrew, you know, I hope whatever you did, I can learn something. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I got four coming after, her. and the, my girls just think Sky is as cool as it. It's just cool. Do you know what I mean? They just think she's fantastic. But you know, she's got this you know, this innate creativity. I um, mean, and she understands the loveliness of the gospel. I mean, she did a song at the sing conference. Um, the Archbishop Foley Beach of the Anglican Church led us in a. In a in a service in the during the prayer section of the conference this year and for the assurance of pardon we dropped in a song there and the assurance of pardon usually could have moved to the gospel or it is something liturgical or evangelicals move to something kind of very kind of just like gospel where you know we're made right again do you know what i mean kind of thing and she took george herbert's poem love bids me welcome mm. love still bids me welcome and just that lovely turn of emotion that was still as richly theological but was so much more inviting and so much more winsome and i actually think the history of female hymn writers does that as well you know um so many of the hymns were were where the great hymns were written by females and they've got i, I again I, I, that's a whole other conversation i don't want to i don't want to um necessarily open it too far but i think there's you know, there's something in the same way as, you know, a big all the Fortune 500 companies now want to make sure they have at least 20, 30 percent minimum, if not 50 percent of their directors to be females because they bring in a different intelligence. I think in the the emotional intelligence there is extraordinary. So she's so she's great. Good kid. And uh, she, she's doing, of course, doing her singer songwriter thing. But we created this deal that she could also then do a, be, be, a, be what part of our hymn writer collective to do hymns um, to take shelter. Is still, to me, feels like a, a singer-songwriter song, but the chorus, yeah. when, you, when you do the chorus, everybody in church sings it, so I suspect it will become popular in churches as well. Not as a standard hymn, but as a song that's done in services that everybody joins in with. And yeah, uh, yeah. again, she started it on that subject of anxiety, and then but it, the, the song that sort of stopped, and then she she asked Kristen to get involved, and it was it happened to be the way you Russia-Ukraine, broke out and so they they did that lyric you can tell you know you know some of the lyrics in it are very much leaning towards that when the um uh wars the wars as they have been before do you know what i mean um those kind of lines were just they're just beautiful and uh so so, so it was it's really poignant and it's actually it's actually been really well received and, and i'm really we're really excited
0: about that song so it's a good song to listen it's a good song to listen to as well just yeah, well, and, of course, she's got a, a, a spectacular voice as well. I mean, I, I don't know. I hear almost a little bit of Alison Krauss whenever I hear Sky Peterson sing. There's kind of this angelic wispiness to it. that, that No, that's uh, exactly right. I, I hear that, too. And it's great. Well, um, okay. The title song y'all actually wrote a couple of years ago, uh, "Christ Our Hope in Life and Death," based on the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. Once again, uh, coming from the rich tradition of the church. But I, you know, I can tell you, Keith, in in my little church here in Charlotte, North Carolina. That song, I wouldn't say it has usurped in Christ alone, because we still sing in Christ alone a lot in our church, but we're singing that song a lot, you know, in our congregational singing. And I'm uh, discovering when I talk to other people that others are doing that as well. I mean, that, that's that got to make you feel great, right? Not not only when you just write a great song that you can perform, but when you know those songs are kind of taking on a second life and are being sung within, you know, churches large and small, not just here in the U S but all over the world.
1: Yeah. That's within eight months. That song was our second biggest song in history or say our history. So that's, that's just been a real exciting thing. And if out and COVID of course was, 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 was good as well. So, and, and also it was great because it was the first four writers we signed to the, to the publishing company. So it was like, I think the Lord has shown his kindness. When I wanted to write hymns, the first hymn that was released was in Christ alone. And it was almost like, and I don't overthink it because, you know, I'm a Presbyterian. We don't we don't have emotions, but, um, you know, but it almost like was the Lord pushing us out to get started, you know. And he said, I'm going to give you this once. You're never going to get it again. But, you know, here, here's the start. And then almost 20 years on, uh, Christ for Hope and Life and Death, as we started the publishing company I began to, we brought the guys to Ireland. And the first trip to Ireland, we all sat around in a circle and stumbled across this, all six, all five of us. And uh, and that was just like launching the publishing company. So it's, it's kind of been that's been a good thing. And also, I think that of all the catechisms, I think the Heidelberg is is by far the most emotional, by far the most poetic. Yeah. And uh, so I was just absolutely thrilled. I, I'd been trying since I started, since I just have to try and do something with the Heidelberg catechism. So it only took 20 years.
0: Yeah, well, I was kind of raised on the Westminster Catechism, so I'm sort of late to the party when it comes to the Heidelberg Catechism. But I, but I do have to agree with you. I think it is very beautiful, and you know, and just you know, the, got that theological and doctrinal solidness to it as well, while ha- also having the beauty. So I really respect and, and appreciate that uh, so much. And and by the way, since I, I've mentioned a couple of songwriters, but but uh, just to give everybody their due here, so you've got you've got Matt Pop you've got Matt Boswell you've got Jordan Coughlin you've got now Sky Peterson and who am I leaving out Matt Merker Matt Merker right of course yeah
1: Um, Ben Shive wrote on both the songs you talked about both Rejoice and Take Shelter Ben Shive of course is there Laura Story has joined the company. Tommy Billy is our church music director. Um, but Papa and Bozo are actually involved in the Lord Almighty Rains, And that, that, of all the songs in the record, that might be the one I'm most actually excited about it. That was the third track. So it was Christ Rope and Life and Death, then Rejoice, and Lord Almighty Rains, then Take Shelter. Lord Almighty Rains was a song that Kristen basically came up with this idea, um, this chorus idea and, it, and she, Kristen always loved Hymns of Heaven interestingly of course the is John Lennox and all the rest it, their family's origin is Plymouth Brethren who actually were famous in their first generation Jay and Darby for Hymns about Heaven, so something has trickled down her origins even though she's not connected to it now but that she loves to write Hymns in Heaven and I think strategically as we look at trying to help the next generation and help the church with thought today, I mean you're, there's, there's any number of top 100 hymns if you Google them online. Most of them, you will usually find 80 to 90 of the top traditional hymns in these lists will have something to do with heaven, hell, eternity, a final verse about going to be with the Lord or resting with him or God our judge. Do you know what I mean? So you will find 80 to 90 will do that. In modern worship lists, certainly if you take out, certainly 20 years ago before we and and Sovereign Grace and City Light were doing their stuff, um, you tended to find four to six out of 100 had anything to do with eternity. And, and certainly most of those lists will not have more than 10. If you take out the modern hymns, most modern worship song lists will not have more than 10 out of 100 that have anything to do with life beyond this life. And so when we, it's important for us as leaders, it's important for us as parents and grandparents, when we look to the next generation to not see their songs as purely a stylistic change. That is, that is such a huge philosophical change that some of my more cynical uh, philosophical friends who aren't even Christians would say it's almost a different religion.
0: Mm. And I think rightly so. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Ben Shive, so let me let me uh, pause on Ben for just a minute. I think a lot of um, our our listeners might know Ben as the keyboard player for Andrew, and also he does some production for Andrew as well. Uh, am I am I right, Keith? Is this the first time Ben has produced an album for you, or not?
1: He, he did the last three. He was involved in the last three. So, oh. our, our twenty twenty album was the Even Song, and you interviewed us in all of them. So my, I, I, it's obviously my fault. I haven't given Ben enough credit because you've you've given all three albums some game time Uh, 2020 was the even song the helping people sleep response to the even song and then 21 we wrote our love letter to Ireland which was Confessio and we actually brought Ben across to Ireland he help us with that and then 22 was the collection of hymns that's come during that whole period and uh, so Ben's helped us with all those records and he's been a just He is a brilliant guy. There's not many people are that brilliant at music, but you kind of think their knowledge of scripture and their integrity is even better. And honestly, I feel that, I feel that about, about our our whole team, you know, and and, and the writer's side. And, um, and and we've tried to encourage that at the conference, be be great at theology, be great at the arts, be great at your craft, but all, all of them tend to have a DNA of being excited about family and excited about their local church for all its crazy craziness. And that's that's hard to get with the creative community a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I've had a similar conversation with Andrew Peterson about Ben. And one of the things that, you know, Andrew will say is that just he's so theologically sound and he's active in his, you know, local church. So he's, he's grounded in, you know, in, in a local church community as well. And um, that it is really hard to find guys that really have that musical excellence at a very high level and also the biblical understanding and the theological understanding at a really high level as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. No. And I think I think that's why the singing thing has been a bit of a gathering point for a lot of those guys. Um, obviously, Andrew's, Andrew's got a much broader version than we have. And Andrew's, Andrew kind of specializes more in the whole arts, even though he, he may have written the best uh, church song of the of the last decade. And I, I'm kind of more just focused on church music, even though our conference involves arts. But, uh, um, but th- that's been one of the exciting things with people like Ben, all those guys getting together. I mean, and honestly, the next generation, you know, Warren, people are seeing different things. But the level of musicianship and spiritual mindedness and groundedness that we're seeing some of our kids coming through in their 20s. Gives us extraordinary excitement with the next generation. You know, we live, and the Sing, Sing the Great Commission 2023. We're bringing 100 nations, and some of the stories we're hearing of what God is doing in the world and the people and the quality of the people we're meeting just leaves us extraordinarily excited to be Christians today. I know many people are seem to be caught in a, in a what I would call it either either despondency or at best defensive conservatism, and I don't I don't think there's any need to be that way. I think. I think, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word is of God and, and he's the light and the darkness kind of overcome the light. And so uh, I, I, I'm really excited, really encouraged.
0: Yeah. Well, you may have already answered the 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 question that I wanted to turn to next and kind of expand from, you know, your album and what you're doing and talk a little bit more about music generally. And, you, of course, you've already just mentioned a little bit about that. But, you know, we look out in the, you know, sort of the, the the evangelical music world generally. And, and there's, a, like you say, a lot to like, especially a, a lot uh, coming out of your efforts in the community around you. But we also see, you know, scandal at Hillsong, scandal at Sovereign Grace, and there's just been some problems. Um, does that cause you any concern? And what, what do you guys do to keep yourselves grounded and focused on the main thing as the main thing?
1: Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, your job is different than mine In my job. I never give it a second thought. I mean, I live, I live 12 minutes from the center of Nashville and I just, I never give it a second thought. It does not enter my reality. Um, the people that we get to work with are inspiring to us and uh, the character that we're seeing in those guys, is just, it's just so exciting. And so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let me go professional and I'll focus on the, on the personal. On the professional level we're, we're moving towards this hymnal in 2025 with Crossway which is very much the hymnal and worship companion to the ESV and uh, our whole team are, um, they're, they're, there are four areas in particular that we are so lacking in modern hymnody for the health of the modern Christian that the next two years is just a non-stop creative joy but emotional slog to try and really put, work on that and so our our focus is very much on that, and uh, again, the four sing conferences are really covering all the bases. So last year we just finished the liturgy one. Next year is the Great Commission, which is more the, a lot of the global stuff. The following year is the Bible, with the, with the, singing through a lot of the key Bible paraphrases, the Bible, and then and then twenty five is the hymnal and the Psalter, which is finishing the Psalms. And so those things tell you what we're kind of working on as, as writers as well. So we're pretty focused on that and and the sing conference. Uh, being able to do that. Next year, seeing the Great Commission is three days. It's on the local church, the global church and the future of the church and being able to, again, like, like Wilberforce and Bach and all my heroes were the guys and Lewis were the guys who looked forward and said, we've confidence in the gospel looking forward, let's have a 50, that's of an eternal vision first, but let's have a 50, 100, 150 years and hope we can make a bit of an impact. Again, so much of what I've seen of, of, of Western conservatism, Western church life, even the Reformed Church, is so concerned about conserving that they conveniently don't have time to face the issues that are actually coming down the pike at us. And so we weren't able to do that and do that with, with the confidence that, that the gospel gives us. In terms of personal I'm a young guy. My oldest kid isn't even a teenager. So I don't, I don't feel that much expertise, but I think a a lot of it is built around, you know, the the quality of your, your prayer life, your prayer life with your wife, your marriage. And uh, you know, I, I do believe this. I do believe two things. I do believe that if I am not singing and reading the Bible and praying with my kids every day, I have no business. I have no business being in a church platform on a Sunday morning or writing hymns for the church and secondly, if anybody was to pray for us, I would I would ask that they prayed a lot harder for the, the, the mission. We have two mission fields we work with. One is four girls. And the other one is the global church. And I'd be I'd, <laughs> I'm much more concerned that I'm faithful with the four girls, because if I am, however they turn out, then I believe the work we do for the global church will, by its nature, by the very essence of what it is, be be more authentic and more effective.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so excited about that hymnal coming out because I I just love, I love hymnals generally. And of course, I've been to your home and I know you've got a bookshelf full of hymnals. Almost a thousand different hymnals here. And, you know, to have a a new hymnal, one that is, you know, that has been really poured over um, and really thought through rather than just simply, you know the 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 most popular song that happened to be on the radio last week or last month, but one that has really kind of stood the test of time. That is so exciting, and of course, the same conferences, as as you've mentioned, are you know taking the, their interim steps towards that 2025 release date. Uh, so walk me through a little bit more about what that process looks like. I mean, I'm guessing that if you're putting together a hymnal in 2025, you already know what some of the songs are. You've 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 started. To identify holes that you need to write for or look for, is that right? What's that going to look like over the next three years?
1: That's exactly right. We're trying to give a a a, a worshiping companion for the English language primarily, and then get it translated where it is helpful to the global church. And uh, as obviously, the, the the partnership with Crossway is very deliberate because it allows our two organizations to overlap in, in strategic ways. And it's, it's like you say, it's what we want is I mean, put it like this: it's an expanded version of Kristen and I know the hymns we want our girls to know. Our church, when our church about 10 years ago ripped back to about 50, 60 hymns, it's not just over 100 hymns that our church do, that they want our church to know. Our youth pastor in our church has, here's the 50 hymns I want these kids to know by the time they leave me for college, because it is part of our spiritual health is is, is what we sing to the Lord. And uh, so we want to be able to give up to 500 hymns that we think hymns and psalms that we think. I mean, obviously it covers all the psalms, but we want 500 pieces that that we think can really help churches all over the West. That we would stand behind most of them. Most of them were written between the first and the twentieth centuries, but there are then there are then a group that are written in our century, and our century obviously will be the most popular century because. Um, that's the nature of being created in God's image. We want to create, each generation creates their new thing. Warren Smith, despite all has been written, is continuing to write more stuff and his son will continue to make movies and the next generation will keep going on. That's just part of the game. That's part of what it is to be made in God's image. I think the two things we're trying to add to the book are number one, really outstanding hymns. Very few of them ever come, but when we a few times we, we stumbled over them. So we're trying to write some, but then there are four categories that I would say that I would say really are and need to be looked at at the minute. One is one is the singing of the psalms because that is the Bible songbook. That is what Jesus used as his hymn book. That is singing scripture itself. That is what the Bible said is the songbook. So let's start there. Uh, secondly, is we want we want to look at take the historic liturgies of the Christian Church because they, those have actually helped set up the balance and helped shape. The Christian life and what the gospel is for people, and actually make sure we're well covered in all these things, especially around things like sin, especially around things like prayer. Those things are lacking. The third area is we are at a really interesting point in history. While, while we don't want to um, lean on certain parts of our Christian history or our colonial past, the English language has given us extraordinary hymns, extraordinary poetry by the finest poets. So many of the hymns that you like, for example, with um, sacred heads so wounded, or a mighty fortress is our God, or, o Lord, or how great thou art, or um, praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation. These, 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 were, these were never written in English, but the poetry is so extraordinary because people like Robert Bridges, who was the poet laureate to George V, who would have been Elizabeth II's great uncle, but he was a, was a passionate Bible believer. And so the finest poet in England was creating these poems. You know, you think of something that God moves in a mysterious way. Well, that's that's part of ordinary parlance. That's part of common parlance. That's part of culture. Why is that? It's because William Cooper wrote a hymn. When was the last time you heard that song in church? I bet it was a long time. Yeah. You know. So yeah. we so we want to look at some of the best, the very best poetry, and say, can we recover that with beautiful melody? And then the fourth thing is, there's what you just call a number of really uncool subjects. They usually they usually lean to the mysterious side of God, the more sinful part of our nature, and where evangelicals have to think about others and not themselves. And those are those three areas <laughs> are mysteriously lacking in our song culture. So Psalms, liturgies rescuing some of the best poetry, and then taking what we call, we call it the uncool club of of subjects. (laughs) We've got to have a little of Those are the four things we're really trying to write deliberately into to, to help our churches.
0: Yeah. Well, God bless you in that effort. I can't wait. I got to tell you, I'm I'm excited about it coming out. I don't know. I, I guess I will have to wait three years, but whatever. I, I can do that, I guess, if the Lord tarries. But hey, hey, Keith, uh, you know, we need to bring our conversation to a close, but I can't uh, resist asking you because, um, you know, just because of who you are and your background and so on. Um, any recollections or uh, thoughts about Queen Elizabeth who recently passed away? Um, can you just Uh, A point of personal privilege here. Can you just tell me what's on your mind and what was on your mind during what ended up being sort of a global celebration of her life, even in the secular world? What were you thinking?
1: The entire time I spent one-to-one with Queen Elizabeth II probably is less than five minutes, might only have been, might be less than four minutes. So I obviously met her that one occasion, um, way back and, uh, I actually waited a year to get the award. I had to wait because I was determined that I would get the award from her. Uh, I didn't want to get it from the other royals um, because I just thought I was always such a fanatical fan. Um, I sat, I found out about it the day after Singh. It happened the day after Singh. Um, I was with three friends sitting out by the fire at our house here. And they all had, actually, interesting, they were all Brits and all, they were all over for Singh. And they had all spent time with her. Uh, Ross Wilson, the, the artist, is a, is the painter for King Charles, the the, the current king. Um, James Ainscough, who runs our foundation, used to be the COO of the Royal Albert Hall, which is kind of is kind of the Royal family's local pub, so to speak. Sure. And then John Kirkpatrick was the uh, the, order of the Presbyterian Church. So it all spent a bit, and it was interesting just the consistency with which everyone talks about her. But I, I would say if you're talking about what do we learn. About leadership, life, and the Lord from Queen Elizabeth. The three things that I have distilled more than anything else are number one and above everything else, you know, the the long service in the one direction. Do you know what I mean? That she she gave her life, however long or short, and a long service in the one direction. Finish as well. So that is the main point. About two thousand and one, there was a shift in her philosophy, which kind of said, "I'm." She basically nobody quite knows how it happened. Obviously, they're very private, but she decided to become much more outspoken about her Christian faith. And uh, she would make, like, in the Queen's speech one year. Uh, let me just find it. She, um, in the Queen's speech, we're sitting watching it, eating our, um eating our Christmas dinner, and she goes, although near the end of it, she goes, although we are capable of great acts of kindness. History teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness and our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. I much the Queen's comes out with us. You know, I think uh, the, the second the thing I would say is she was a liturgical person. She was a, she had Christian rhythm. She believed in the Bible. She believed in the prayer book. But the most amazing thing was she preferred Balmoral, her home in Scotland, and her local church there was Presbyterian. Church of Scotland which is Presbyterian, um, ironically for the head of the Anglican church. But she went, the, the pastor there said she missed church twice in the last two decades. Now, first of all, she was 75 to 96 in the last two decades. Second of all, she might be one of the most under pressure people in the world between wars and diseases and uh, uh, family breakdown and media pressure and chaos all around her. She missed church twice in 20 years. I mean, that you know, there, there's a liturgical rhythm to that kind of life that I think is extraordinary. And the third thing I would say as a leader is people kind of paint her as being so good because she was so consistent when all around gave way. You know, when Britain was losing its empire, when the world was going to pieces, when her family were messing up, and no matter what it was, she stayed consistent. And and that is, that is remarkable. But I think as a leader, she actually... Proper conservative leaders should be visionary leaders. And I think that's what we're missing in the conservative church at the minute. That's what the reformed church is missing really badly. They think to be a leader is to be more sound than the next guy or or to make a kind of an academic analysis and they don't have enough vision for the next 50 and 100 years. Her two closest Christian confidants were actually John Stott and Billy Graham, which is a pretty good start. Her first of her 14 prime ministers was, was Sir Winston Churchill. Now, Churchill for all his craziness, and he was crazy. Still, when you look at his vision for the universe at going forward, he makes modern leaders look like pygmies, you know? And so she, she was around great leaders all her life. She surrounded herself with them, but she took, I mean, even to give you one, I'll give you the example of Christianity, but even to give the example of the Commonwealth. So she had to basically sit under in history the basically the, the decolonialization of the world. You know, that's what happened. And uh, she had the vision to say, if I can go to these countries, and I can shake their hands and I can meet their leaders and listen to their hurt and say sorry and apologize. She was brilliant at saying sorry, almost to a fault. Um, she actually was able to build this commonwealth of nations, this kind of alliance of countries who share common systems of education and healthcare and culture, and actually build relationships where most Most colonialization reaction has been a negative thing in the last century, and some has been for Britain, but largely she has kept the Commonwealth together as functioning countries, even though they're all independent. So she had an 100-year vision, as well as just being this kind of, you know, straight list, oldest child who always did the right thing. So that'd be the three things I'd say. Christianity, growing old and growing better, a kind of a liturgical life, and a conservatism that actually was visionary.
0: You've been listening in on my conversation with Keith Getty. His latest book is Sing, How Worship Transforms Your Life family and church he and his wife Kristen have produced more than 25 albums including the recent even song a collection of hymns and lullabies at close of day which came out during 2020 and sing global live at the getty music worship experience that came out in 2021 their latest album is confessio it features ricky skaggs kirk Whalum, and allison krauss The album was recently nominated for a Grammy in the Roots Gospel category. I should also mention that last night, December 15, Keith and Kristen Getty played their annual Christmas show to a sold-out audience at Carnegie Hall in New York couple of quick notes before we go. First, if you're new to the program, check out the Listening In Archive. I've done about 500 long-form interviews over the past nine years for World News Group, including, as I mentioned earlier, other interviews with Keith Getty. I've also interviewed frequent Getty collaborators, including Phil Kagey, Andrew Peterson, and the jazz great John Patitucci. To find these interviews or any of the others in our archive, just go to the World News Group website, that's WNG.org, and use the search engine to explore. Listening in comes to you from World News Group, and this program is just one of the many podcasts and publications available. To find out more about our complete family of products, visit WNG.org. Tune in next week to hear my conversation with Tim Keller. Tim Keller has a new book out on forgiveness that is already having a big impact both on people's lives and on many public conversations that we're having today where forgiveness is badly needed. It's an important book for one of the best known pastors in America. I think you'll find the conversation nourishing. The producer for today's program is Paul Butler. Johnny Franklin is the technical producer. I'm your host, Warren Smith, and you've been
2: listening in now we live invites and equips christians to propel faith into action this free worldview bible study will spark rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions watch summit ministries worldview video series for free at summit.org slash listening in These six videos from Summit Ministries offer life-on-life discipleship for churches, small groups, and families. Get free access today at summit.org slash listening in.